Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. I'm Dave and I am not here with Pastor Merritt today. He's done it again. Uh, he took a spill and fell and while he was outside doing one of his walks. And when he fell and I found him out there a few minutes later, he had fractured his skull. So spent some time in the hospital. He is on the mend, but for now, it's going to be me. So I beg your patience uh, while he recovers, and we'll hope to have him back here very soon. Today we'll be on lesson number 33 in the book of Daniel. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking that you open our minds and our hearts to learning of the Word. We pray a special prayer for Pastor Merritt and his recovery and pray for your will to be manifest in all that we do. Bless us and thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Like I said, lesson number 33 in the book of Daniel. We're getting started here with chapter two. I'm sorry, chapter three. Last week, we completed the exegesis and analysis of Daniel 2.49. When time expired, we were in the process of giving you several introductory points, beginning the study of Daniel chapter 3. Let's review some of that learned last week and then pick up with new material at point 10.7. Daniel chapter 3 is a perfect picture of God's loving care and total provision for members of his family in all circumstances of life. In chapter 3, we will see how God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego under extreme adversity. It simply proves once again that with God, nothing is impossible. When Daniel interpreted a series of dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, the king was so impressed that he promoted Daniel and his three friends over those who were no doubt their seniors. This will create a great deal of jealousy on the part of those passed over. The fact that the dream of chapter 2 depicted Nebuchadnezzar as the golden head of the awesome image may have triggered Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's power to lust. Although Nebuchadnezzar had recognized the omnipotence of God when Daniel prophesied of the king's place in world history, he seemed to have failed to recognize the need to accept the grace of God which had placed him there. It was God who had given Nebuchadnezzar a great empire and permitted him to rule but he abused this authority by worshiping the power rather than the source of the power. Nebuchadnezzar, like his father before him, had sought to 
consolidate his empire through internationalism. This practice of creeping national hegemony is an anathema to God. Making matters worse, he also also saw fit to pursue religious internationalism. His bent on self-aggrandizement caused him to even defy himself, for he created an image of himself and demanded his subject to worship him. That his actions seemed to be a precursor of those of the Antichrist should not go unnoticed. The building of the image was fostered by Satan himself, and therefore it was an abomination to the Lord. To understand this chapter in the book of Daniel and make application to our own lives, we must be cognizant of the seductive appeal of the devil's counterfeit programs, which is religion. Satanic strategy seeks to win the approbation of God or gods by good works, while Christianity is an individual relationship with God through a relationship with the person of Christ. That's Galatians 3.26. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about Satan's counterfeits. There is a counterfeit gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a distant gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul makes clear in Romans chapter 1 of the evils of rejecting the real gospel. Once the message of Christ is rejected, there are all kinds of substitutes. Romans chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll take it all the way through 28. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. The world is, and always has been, a very religious place. It would seem that down through the ages, mankind has had a need for God or God. Their mantra or mantra has forever been, God must exist because virtually everyone in the world believes in him, therefore so should I. There are plenty of counterfeit ministers in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Counterfeit ministers certainly exist today, but they shall proliferate as time progresses. 1 Timothy 4.1 The Spirit clearly says that in latter times or later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Mark chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. There is also a counterfeit communion table. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 21. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table 
and the table of demons. There is a counterfeit righteousness. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 21. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Alrighty, now we're ready for some new material. We'll start with Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your human goal by human effort? Romans chapter 3, correction, Romans chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts, trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits, credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. There is a counterfeit modus operandi. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 through 5. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on other men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylactrices wide and the tassels on their garments long. There is a counterfeit power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8-10 through 10. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. 
and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And there are counterfeit gods. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Because of pride, Nebuchadnezzar, unlike Daniel and his friends, could not handle the prosperity of prominence. He became power mad. Not content with ruling the greatest empire of the day, he attempted to force religious internationalism on his subjects. In this manner, he apparently hoped to perpetuate his personal greatness and I suppose the glory of Babylon as an international arena. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, records God's first condemnation of internationalism. Men raised up the Tower of Babel, and God destroyed it. Because internationalism is satanic, it will continue to rear its ugly head throughout the church age. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. Now the whole world has one language and one and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The last great push of international religion and its destruction by God will occur during the tribulation. The rise and destruction is prophesied in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. Verse 1 and 2. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come. I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute 
who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Any interpretation of Revelation 17 and 18 is difficult. In general, however, it is helpful to consider chapter 18 is dealing with the Babylon as an ecclesiastical or spiritual entity and chapter 18 as dealing with Babylon as a political entity. John has shown the vision of the destruction of Babylon as representing false religion by one of the seven, seven angels which had the seven vials and is invited to behold the judgment of a woman, the symbol of Babylon, described as the great whore, Greek porne, usually translated harlot, who is seen sitting on many waters. The interpretation of one of the seven angels who was given the seven vials would seem to refer, refer to one of the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven vials would seem to refer to God's perfect judgment. The interpretation of waters is that these are the many nations ruled by Babylon. The woman, the apostate church, is said to have committed fornication. The alliance of the apostate church with the political powers of the world in the tribulation not only debauches the true spiritual character of the church, but it compromises her testimony with devastating effect. The apostate church married to the world and ruled by a popular world leader induces a religious drunkenness on the part of large numbers, not all, of course, but many. Religion is always the worst enemy of Christianity, and the moral wickedness involved in the union of the church with the world imposes a stupefying drunkenness. In the southeastern part of the country, some may refer to that as smooth toe up. The hardest people to win to Christ and the most difficult to teach are those who have had previously embraced religion with its outward show of worship. The concept here presented makes plain that the apostate church has eagerly sought and solicited adulterous relations with the world political powers and is therefore accountable and to be blamed. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 through 7. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman, the false church, sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon, the great 
the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Beginning with verse 8, we change characters but only to show their relationship to the whore. 17, verse 8 through 14. The beast, the devil, which you saw, once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was now is not and yet will come this calls for a mind with wisdom the seven heads are seven hills it's the seven hills of Rome on which the woman or church sits there are also seven kings empires, five, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, have fallen. One is Rome at the time of John's writing. The other has not yet come, the Ten-Nation Federation. But when it, the Ten-Nation Federation, does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast a Satan-indwelt Antichrist, who once was and now is not, is the eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten, king, ten kingdoms who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Before leaving our teaching of the era of internationalism, truly, personified by the global church of the tribulation. I want to read you in part what John Walvoord has written about Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 11, and then we will move forward in our study of Daniel. It reads, The explanation of the beast introduced by the unusual phrase is the mind which hath wisdom, anticipates the difficulty and complexity of the revelation to follow. The reader is warned that spiritual wisdom is required to understand that which is unfolded. The first key revelation is in the statement, the seven heads 
are seven mountains where the woman sitteth. Many expositors refer this to Rome. Seven hills form the nucleus of the ancient city on the left bank of the Tiber. These hills receive the names of Palestine, Aventine, Salian, Escaline, Viminal, Curinal, and Capitoline. Capitoline. This passage in Revelation is taken, therefore, to indicate that the seat of the ecclesiastical will be in Rome geographically rather than in Babylon. Through its history, Rome has been described as the city of seven hills as indicated in coins which refer to it in this way and in countless allusions in Roman Empire. And that concludes lesson number 33 in the book of Daniel. I thank you for being with me here today. I ask that you say a special prayer for Pastor Merritt's rapid recovery and getting back in this chair next to me so we can spend some time with you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for providing the Word, the Scripture, and for all your many blessings and love. And we pray for those without salvation, without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they open their heart and minds and take in the Scripture and the Word and come to join your forever family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And until next time, so long.